This is KMTT, and this is Ezra Beck, and today is Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Tzaveh, tenth day of Adar. We read this week Parshat Tzaveh. Parshat Tzaveh, as is well known, is the only Parshat Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu's name does not appear in, meaning the only Parshat when Moshe Rabbeinu has begun to appear, not including Sefer Bereshit, but from Sefer Shemot to the end of the Torah. Pashat Tzaveh is the only Pasha in which Moshe's name does not appear. Moshe, of course, is referred to in the very, very beginning of the Pasha. Va'ata Tzaveh, the Vi'ata, and you shall command, the you is Moshe. But his name is not mentioned. The Midrash says the reason is because Moshe said to God when he was arguing with him after the sin of the Egel, of the, of the golden calf, Moshe said to God, Mechenina, that if you don't forgive the Jews, then I want you to erase my name from the book which you are writing. And therefore the Midrash says, at least in one Pasha, in Pasha Tetzaveh, that came true. His name was erased, his name does not appear in this Pasha. The way the commentators explain it is that we learn from this a principle that one should not curse oneself. Because even though you have a good intention, even though it was said, it was said with a condition, if you don't forgive the Jews, then I wish to be erased. But God did forgive the Jews. But nonetheless, one's mouth, when one says certain things, they have an effect. The Gemara says uh, that a klala If you've cursed somebody else, even al-tanai, a tzaddik who curses somebody else, even with a condition, and the condition is not met, it still becomes true to a certain extent. From here we learn that even to oneself, Moshe Rabbeinu is putting himself on the line. Obviously we admire him very much. It's a great mitzvah what he's doing. He's saving the Jewish people, but, but you have to pay a price. You've opened up yourself to a certain kind of punishment. No one is flawless, and by accepting upon himself this thing, then it really does apply. Of course, in this sense, because it's Moshe Rabbeinu, in a very, very minor sense, not misifacha, not from the whole book, but at least from one pasha. The shach adds, on the basis of this understanding of the Midrash, he says that that's the explanation of the first pasuk. Why do you need The whole is unnecessary. What is he commanding them? The, this pasha and the previous pasha is constant commands. So just, it should just say, you know, as following the previous pasha that said you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. Now this, he says, Batat is the point we just made. Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jews that you shouldn't curse yourself because if you do, you're going to be wiped out, just as I was wiped out from the following Pasha. And then the Pasha continues with the story of the, of the Shemin. And there are other reasons given in the Mephashim as to why Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned in the Pasha. The Gva simply says that the way we read the Torah, Pasha Tetzaveh is always in the week of Zayin Adah. Zayin Adar always falls in the week before the reading of Pashat Tzaveh. Zayin Adar is the day of Moshe Rabbeinu's death. Moshe Rabbeinu's Yotzeit. And therefore, to symbolize or to remind us of that, Moshe Rabbeinu, as his candle was extinguished, his light was extinguished in this week, so too the Pasha reflects that by his not appearing in the Pasha. The Panei Achvaza gives a different reason. That Moshe Rabbeinu, way back in Pashat Shmot, had when God had asked him 
that told him, that sent him to be the leader to free the Jews, he said, Shlach na b'yatishlach. Paneach Rata says that Moshe Rabbeinu was a Kohen and should have been a Kohen. When he said, Shlach na b'yatishlach, send with somebody else, not with me, because of his great modesty, and God said, okay, I'll send, I'll send Ahavon. Instead, that's when Ahavon became the Kohen instead of Moshe. So Moshe has lost the Kehuna, has lost the ability to be a Kohen. Pashat Tzaveh is Pashat Akuna. The whole Pashat deals with the uh, inauguration, the dedication, how a Kohen becomes a Kohen, how Aaron and his children became Kohenim and were sent to serve, were dedicated to serve in the Mishkan. So Moshe Rabbeinu, who, it's not just that he's not a Kohen, he's lost the Kuna, so he also has lost his position in this in this Pasha. And if I can add what is Superdrush, the uh, Rav Heshel Mikraka, it's called the Rebbe Rav Heshel Mikraka. There were a limited number of great figures in Jewish history who were popularly called with a double title. One of them is a figure who is almost unknown today. It's amazing how someone could be so great as to be in popular, not just among Lamdanim, not just in, in the Yeshivat. But the Rebbe Rav Heshel was a figure who was known to every child in Eastern Europe at some time, and because he didn't write a sefer and doesn't have a, isn't quoted often in the halacha, he's sort of dropped out of the historical position. But he's always called the Rebbe Reb Heshel, the Rav of Kraka. The Rebbe Reb Heshel said that not only was Moshe Rabbeinu wiped out from Pashat Tzaveh because he said, but Moshe Rabbeinu in the same Pasha, when he's arguing with God after the, after the Egel, uh, and God says, I'm going to send an angel to lead you. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, only God. He said, If you don't come, you God, don't lead us, then don't take us from this place. The angel that would have led them is Michael. Michael is Tzava Shal Yisrael, according to Chazal. He's the angel who, who was in charge of Israel. And he was supposed to lead the Jews to Israel, but Moshe Rabbeinu didn't let him. And therefore he was sent away. When did he come back? In Sefer Yoshua, this is brought in the Medrash in the Alkut Yoshua, when right after Moshe Rabbeinu dies, Yoshua is outside of the camp and he meets an angel. And the angel says, Atabati, I am Satsava Hashem, Atabati, I am the angel of God. Now I've come. So the Medrash says, What do you mean now I've come? He says, Now I've come because for the last couple of years I haven't been here. For the last 40 years I've not been here because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't let me. He sent me away, but now that he's dead, I've come back. So whenever there is Moshe, the angel Michael cannot exist. The Rebbe Heshel said, in Tetzaveh, there is no Moshe. How many psukim are there in Tetzaveh? There are 101 psukim. And 101 in Gematria is Michael. So this Pasha, Moshe Rabbeinu, is not present. Michael makes a appearance, a hidden, slight appearance. Then, of course, he disappears for the rest of the Torah and the rest of the story of the Jews in the desert till he reappears in the time of Yahushua. Our guest today on this Erev Shabbat program is Harav Shalom Berger, who is on the faculty of the Luxstein Center for Diaspora Education of bar University, and also, coincidentally, is one of my neighbors here in Alon Shvot in Eretz Israel. With Purim upon us, I wanted to revisit the popular and well-known halacha that everyone seems to particularly enjoy Purim time, which is, of course, the mitzvah of getting drunk. 
This is a mitzvah that appears in the Shulchan Aruch and Orachayim Simon Tafresh Tzadi Hey Sif Bet, where the Machaber Paskins Chayav Inish Livsume Bepuria Adlo Yada Ben Arahaman Levarach Mardchai, that a person should apparently get drunk uh, to the extent that he doesn't know the difference between um, cursing Haman and blessing Mardchai. Uh, the Machaber, of course, is based on a Gemara in Megillah, Dav Zayin Medbet, which uh, records that Rava, in fact, is the one who gave that halacha. Amar Rava, Machayiv Inish L'Vesumei B'Purya Ad Lo Yada Ben Arham L'Varach Mordechai. Rashi says that L'Vesumei means L'Hishtaker B'Yayin, to drink wine to excess to the extent that you are, in fact, drunk. Um, and... Uh, uh, from here, the the Mechaber, um, uh chooses to uh, reach a halachic conclusion. Interesting is that that self-same Gemara in Megillah does something that the Gemara oftentimes does. The Gemara tells a story in order to illustrate the halacha that has just been presented. And sure enough, here we have the story um, that um, seems to fit into that type of category. The Gemara then tells that Rab of Rabbi Zera of Dusudat Purim Bahade Hadadi. One year, Rab and Rabbi Zera chose to have a Purim Suda, the meal on Purim, together. Ivsum, they got drunk. Come, Rabba, Shachte le Rabbi Zera. Just translating the word, it would appear that the Gemara tells us that Rabba got up. And slaughtered Rabbi Zera. Lumachar the next day, boy Vichai. The next year, uh, sorry, the next day, Rabba realizes what he has done. He prays on Rabbi Zera's behalf and brings him back to life. Lishana, the next year, Omar Neti Mar Apparently, Rabba, in searching for a partner for the Purim Su'uda, approaches Rabbi Zera once again and suggests that perhaps they enjoy their Purim Su'uda together. Omar Lei, Rabbi Zera responds, Lo b'chol shata b'shata mitrachesh nisa. We really can't count on the fact that a miracle will happen every year, and apparently Rabbi Zera begs off. As one can well expect, this Gemara is uh, not taken by the various commentaries, the Rishonim and the Achronim, uh, at face value. Uh, perhaps the one who says it in, a, in the clearest fashion is the Rambam's son, Rabbi Avraham ben Oshel HaRambam, who, in an essay that he wrote about Agadita in general, um, this, uh, this essay appears at the beginning of the standard editions of the Ein Yaakov, the collection of uh, Agadites in the Gemara, uh, Rav Avram ben Oshel Rambam uh, talks about um, what do you do when you find odd stories in the Gemara, stories that could not possibly have happened literally the way they appear. And um, this one specific example that Rabbi Avram ben Oshel Rambam brings is this case. And he says, in general, Dibru Chachamim Bleshon Havai, 
that uh, the uh, the sages of the Talmud, when they tell stories very often, they uh, they exaggerate. And here he says, this particular um, topic that I'm now raising, he quotes our Gemara, Kamra b'shachter l'Rabbi Zera, by Rachmi Alevi v'yichai. Perush, Rabbi Avram ben Eshel HaRambam, wants to explain the story, and he says that it, of course, does not mean that Rabbi Zera uh, is killed by Rabba. Rather, it means she'ikau u'patzauto chabura gdola, she'karov l'mita, u'legodel hamaka hevi shachtei that the expression that Gemara uses, shachtei, really is, uh, is an attempt to uh, portray the seriousness of the injury that Rabbah caused Rabbi Zeira in the course of his drunkenness. Um, and he said perhaps even the injury was on the neck, and that's why it brings up the image of slaughter. Upirish v'chaye milashon uh, and he suggests that the idea that he brought him back to life, the Gemara uses the expression, the merely means that he uh, prayed on his behalf, that he recover from his injury, and not in fact that he, um, that he actually killed him. Uh, similar to this we find in the Achronim, the Maharsha in his Chidusha uh, Gadot here on that same piece, says pretty much the same thing, Dovar Tamohu Lefarsho Kipashtei, uh, the Marsha says it's very, very difficult to suggest that uh, we should explain this story uh, on a simple level. It means that it appeared that he slaughtered him. The Agbare Chamra, the Here he didn't actually injure him, according to the Maharsha, but he um, pressed him to drink more than he should have. Ad until he in fact became ill. And uh, it appeared perhaps that he would had reached a level of intoxication. Uh, the alcohol level in his in his blood reached such a level that it appeared that he might even die. Because he had drunk so much, um, the drinking um, uh, uh, has to do with the area of the throat, and therefore it also was, consider, was considered that it is if he, he, so to speak, shechted him, that he slaughtered him. And the Gemara says, the Again, that Ichai just means that he prayed on his behalf that he should recover. So, certainly one approach to this Gemara is that... Um, uh, this didn't happen quite the way it appears. The Gemara is, uh, is exaggerating the story in order to make a point. Now, the question, of course, becomes, well, what is the point of the Gemara? If we believe that, uh, generally speaking, the Gemara tells stories in order to support the halachic statement that appeared beforehand, um, at first glance, it would appear that this story doesn't fit into that category, uh, that this story, in fact, seems to reject the um, the halacha as it was stated by Rava, That, in fact, is the position um, taken by Rabbeinu Ephraim, who is quoted by the Rishonim, uh, by the Baal Hamor, and by the Ran um, in our Gemara, in the standard Gemara, where uh, Rabbeinu Ephraim is quoted as saying, 
that um, the fact that the Gemara brings the story immediately after the statement of Halacha is in order to tell us that in this particular case the Halacha was not accepted. We can see that something really terrible happened because of the people who followed the, this halacha to the letter of the law, and as such, we have to we, we have to learn um, the Gemara is teaching us, in effect, that we should refrain from doing it. Um, he's quoted as follows: "Midamaiti Allah uvda." From the fact that the Gemara tells the story, come Rabbah v'shachtel Rabbi Zera, that Rabbah got up and, and slaughtered Rabbi Zera, ayyadeh de'ivsum, because he uh, he had become drunk. Ulashana habak, the Amar le'i navid, purim b'hadadi, Amar le'i Rabbi Zera, la'vachol shatim etrachash nisa, from the fact that Rabbi Zera t- refuses to participate in this, um, in the Purim suit of the following year, memele idchi member de Rabbah, so Rabbeinu Ephraim uh, reaches the conclusion that clearly the Gemara is indicating to us that the halacha as stated by Rabba or Rava, um, that one is obligated to become drunk, is rejected by the Gemara, and it's in fact inappropriate to behave in this manner. The Sefer HaEshkol, and this is uh, one of the Rishonim, and this is something that appears in the Achronim as well, uh, argues with this uh, understanding of the Gemara. The Sefer Eshkel writes, V'li ha-kotev nira, d'mikan raya d'tzarech livsumei, d'ilo ha-v'le l'meymar, n'avad suda bahadadi v'lo nivsam. In fact, this story does exactly what stories usually do in the Gemara. This story proves that the halacha as stated is a correct one. Uh, the Sefer Eshkel argues, that were the Gemara rejecting the halacha as stated by Rava, so then the end of the story should have been different. Rabbi Zera should have accepted Rabba's invitation to Purim Seuda, but he should have said, after last year's experience, it's become clear to us that there's some danger involved in our trying to really be machmir, trying to be especially careful about the uh, the ruling that one has to get drunk, this year we'll have Purim Se'udah together, and we will choose not to get drunk. From the fact that Rabbi Zerah doesn't say that, he, he, he understands that Rabbah will, um, in any case, insist that drinking take place during this meal, um, it's clear that um, uh, still, uh, at least according to Rabbah, and that's the halacha that we accept, uh, drinking is in fact appropriate, and um, getting drunk is remains a mitzvah on on Purim. The, um, there are Rishonim who understand this uh, Gemara in a, ver- a variety of ways. Um, one particularly interesting approach um, is in a uh, appears in a perush uh, of a rishon um, that was recently published. It uh, is in a book called Elef Hamagain Perush Al Agadot Megillat Mesechet Megillah, written by Reb Shmaya Ben Elio Haakariti, who was a um, an Italian rishon lived in the 14th century, and he gives a um, um, 
a different type of uh, explanation of this uh, of this Agadita. And he says that when uh, the Gemara describes that Rab and Rabbi Zera um, ate Purim Seuda together, he says, Perush nitbodedu yachdav lihishtaker biyein hachachma v'nishtakru ma'od shehisigu pilei plaot biyunam that uh, this wasn't quite a physical Purim Seuda. Here were two people who sat together and the food that they ate the drink that they had, in fact, was uh, an analysis and study of mystical ideas. Rabba's success in reaching higher levels of mystical understanding, um, his description of this was so great that Rabbi Zera, who did hadn't quite reached that level, um, had this tremendous desire to to also to see that kind of thing. Um, so, Rabbi Zeri's desire to reach these high levels of comprehension and understanding were um, actually took his very soul out of him, according to this approach, and that's the intent of the Gemara with regard to Shachtei. Barachmi um, Vichai means he that Rabbi Davin for him, and he recovered. Um, According to this Peru, and then, of course, uh, the next year, when Rabba approaches Rabbi Zera, what we are afraid of isn't a physical um, uh, altercation. What Rabbi Zera was afraid of was that, yet again, his desire to reach these high levels of, of mystical understanding would once again bring his soul to leave his body, and perhaps this time Rabba wouldn't be successful in putting the two of them back together. Um, one of my uh, favorite um, uh, approaches to this to this Gemara is that of Rabbi Yaakov Emden. It appears in the standard uh, perush in the back of of, of the Gemara, where uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Emden points to a series of of Gemara throughout Shas, in which it's clear that the Chachamim Chachmei Hagmara were uh, talented actors, and um, what he uh, what Rabbi Yaakov Emden suggests is that Rab and Rabbi Zera were in the middle of a festive Purim Seuda, and the uh, Rabbi turns to Rabbi Zera and says, "You know, this has gone a little bit beyond um, what a Purim Seuda should be. Let's do something in order to sort of, you know, tone down the party." And they agreed that they would put on a little Purim skit that would get everyone's attention and sort of move them away from their uh, focus on the festivities. Um, so Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes, that when Rabba um, slaughtered Rabbi Zera, it was all you know, it was it was all a lot of um, um, sleight of the hand, the hand faster than the eye, uh, the blood every place was just um, some tomato sauce. All the people who were at the, who were in, involved in this party thought that in fact. Rabbi Zera had actually been killed by Rabbah. 
When the people saw this, they all were saddened, and they um, certainly the 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 party um, died, so to speak. Rabbi Zera, who was lying there on the floor playing this role, peeks out and sees this deep sense of mourning that the entire party ha- has upon seeing the um, what they thought was a true um, uh, altercation between him and, and Rabbah. And says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, Rabbi Zera fainted away to the extent that it really appeared that he wasn't that he was dead. Um, that's why Rabba had to pray on his behalf that he should recover. But certainly. Um, uh, certainly, Rabba never did anything uh, so severe. Well, lahalacha, what do we come out with all this? While the Machaber uh, rules that a, a person is obligated, if we go back to the Siman in the Seif, in the Shulchan Aruch, we find that the Ramah rules, the Yeshom Rim, the Einzarech Lishtaker Kolkach. The recommendation the Ramah has is that you should drink a little more than usual and then take a nap, and while you're asleep, you in fact will fulfill the uh, opinion as quoted in the Gemara that you won't know the difference between Arahaman Lavorach Mardchai. Uh, a message that certainly is always appropriate, maybe especially on Purim, um, that uh, whether you choose to drink more or less, the point is to do it um, with the right intention. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to Rav Shalom Berger, our guest for Pashat Tzaveh. In the beginning of Pashat Tzaveh, the first mitzvah is to bring oil, to prepare oil, which is used in the menorah. This oil is described as being katit lama'o. The word katit refers to how oil is made. It's crushed. You crush the olives. Uh, you, you chop them up. To, to crush something and chop it up small. Lama'o, for the purpose of lighting. So this shemen, this oil is called katit lama'o. The Gemara says katit lama'o, below katit limnachot. There are two things for which oil is used in the Beit HaMikdash. One is to light the menorah, to make light. And the other thing is that oil is an ingredient in the menachot. Menachot are korbanot that are brought from plants rather than from animals. What's called, I think in the translations, the meal offering. It's basically flour. The flour is mixed, among with other things, is mixed with oil. Oil and also spice, levona, which if I remember correctly, I might be wrong, I think is frankincense. Since I don't know what frankincense is, it doesn't really make much of a difference to me. It's called livona. But the, the main ingredients is flour and oil. So that oil is not the oil that's described here. Katit, chopped up very, very finely. And the finest oil, the best oil, the first drops, the drops that come when you haven't crushed it in a press but only chopped it up, that is lama'ol. Because that's the, the purest oil. In order, you can get more oil out of a, a, uh, an olive. And that's by crushing it, by putting it into the press. 
and crushing it completely, and then you get every last drop of oil. But that oil is not as good because it's mixed in also with some impurities that come from the body of the of the olive. So katit lamao velo katit limnachot. Why don't minachot also need the best oil? The Gemara says chasa hakadosh baruch hu alma monam Yisrael. That at least in certain times, the Torah is concerned about the expense involved. Uh, the first few drops of oil and then throwing away the rest of the olive would be very, very expensive oil indeed. So, Lama'or, yes, which makes a big difference because apparently it burns brighter and more beautifully. But Limnachot, the Torah says you can use cheaper oil, therefore, Katit Lama'or and not Katit Lamnachot. The Rabbi Chir Me Alexander, the Rabbi Me Alexander, explained these words and this halacha in the following manner. I'll try to say it in colloquial English. Katit lama'o, velo katit limnachot. Katit means to chop up. Lama'o to the light. Lo katit, but not chopped up. Limnachot, minachot are those korbanot from, from wheat that we mentioned before. But the word minachot also sounds like lahaniach, to put something down. So Rebbe Alexander said, that you can understand the Pasuk as giving you the following advice. When you come to give Musa to somebody, when you come to chop him up, to, I guess in English we would say, to take him apart, it should be Lama'or, to enlighten him. But don't take him apart, Limnachot, to put him down. It's definitely acceptable, even a mitzvah, to give Musa to somebody, and that might involve, really, ripping him apart, but you always have to remember that it's Lama'or, to enlighten him, and not merely or primarily because you want to put him down. You want to put him down because you want to take him apart, because you want to build him up, because you want to enlighten him. For the Halakha Yomit, tomorrow, Shabbat, we read Parshat Zachor. The Torah is a mitzvah midioraita. Zuchor et asher asalacha amalek. Now the Gemara in Megillah says that this zechira doesn't mean to remember, but it means to mention. How do we know that? Because it says zuchor and then lo tishkach. So tishkach means do not forget. And therefore we know that the mental, the mental mitzvah. So zuchor means to, to actually say. And unusual in the Torah, we find, for instance, another mitzvah which we're all familiar with, where it says zachor, and it means to speak. Zachor at Yom HaShabbat, the Kadsho, which is the source for the mitzvah of Kiddush, of saying something. So here too, zachor means to recite or to say. The Gemara says that this should be from a sefer, which is understood by the Paskim, to mean that we read Pashat Zachor mi Sefer Torah. Is the reading from Sefer Torah midioraita? Or is it only Midr That's not so clear. Although the Gemara learns it from a Pasuk, but the, the, the derivation is a little bit unusual since it's learned from a comparison to Megillat Esther. Just like Megillat Esther is from a Sefer, so too the Kriyat, uh, the reading of, of Pashat Zachor, remembering uh, Amalek. And we all know that Megillat Esther is not Midyoraita. Uh, so therefore, there's a machloket among the uh, commentators whether or not Pashat Zachor, the reading of Pashat Zachor as we do it, Kriyat Torah, Bitzibur, is uh, the uh, Even 
some of them even say, for instance, Tosfot says that Sefer is the writer, the way to recite, to remember, to recall Mechiat Amalek, the mitzvah of, of Amalek, is to read it from a Sefer Torah, but it doesn't say B'tzibur. The whole concept of Kriya Tatavah B'tzibur is the Rabbanan. And so therefore, there are basically three possibilities. One is that you don't need a Sefer at all. You could be um, a kind of mitzvah by simply saying it. The Rambam, for instance, says there's a mitzvah to remember at once a year uh, what Amalek did. It doesn't mention Sefer Torah. It's very possible they think you don't need a Sefer Torah Medioraita. Uh, Tosfot says you need a Sefer Torah Medioraita. It's very possible he doesn't require Kriyat Torah B'Tzibur. In Shul with ten people. Uh, but there are, uh, the Chumat Adeshen says, that the mitzvah midyoraita is to come to shul and hear it read b'tzibur, at least ten people, just like a regular kriyat Torah. In any event, midyorabanan, that applies. Midyorabanan made an institution that the way to be mekayen, the mitzvah diyoraita, is to have a kriya, which we call Pashad Zachor, which is read the Shabbat before Purim. Obviously the timing here is not diyoraita, because Purim doesn't exist midyoraita. But since Purim deals with Haman and Amalek, so they instituted that this mitzvah should be done once a year, and the best time for once a year to be done is the Shabbat before Purim, and when you have Kriyat HaTorah. Since, according to many Rishonim, you need a Sefer Midiorita, so the Sefer definitely has to be Kasher. But there's another uh, problem here, and that is that the person reading it, most of us are only listening. But the mitzvah is Lizkor, not to hear, and not to remember in one's heart, one has to actually say it, but we don't all say it, only the Chazan says it. So apparently the way in which we are all Yotze is Shomea Ke'one, the principle that says that if you hear something said out loud by somebody else, then it is though you said it. However, we many poskim hold, and this is what's brought down the Shulchan Aruch, that in general, Shomea Ke'one only applies if you also understand, not just hear the sounds, but also understand. There is an opinion, the opinion of Rashi, that says that in Hebrew, one doesn't have to understand. But most posts can hold that even in Hebrew, you have to understand what's being said. And therefore, according to those posts, in order to be Yotze, the reading of Pashat Amalek, not just saying something about Amalek, but the actual Pasha, at least Midra Banan, one has to say this Pasha, and maybe even the writer, the exact Pasha that's found in the Torah, you have to understand the entire Pasha. The Pasha includes one or two phrases which might not be clear to everybody, even those who know Hebrew. And so one should look in the Mephashim and see what Vayizanev means, as well as the entire, as well as the entire Pasuk, and that way one is sure to be Mekayim the Mitzvah in the, in the best possible way. Another question in the Poskim involves whether or not women are obligated in this Mitzvah. It's not mentioned in any of the early poskim, not in the Rambam, not in the Shulchan Aruch. And although you might think that if it's not mentioned, that means that women are obligated, because usually if a woman is not obligated, that's what we have to be said. It's an exception, after all. Most mitzvot women are obligated. But still, practically speaking, the consideration is the opposite. Since women did not normally go to shul in most times, and they are not obligated to hear Kriyat Torah every Shabbat, if this Shabbat is different, I think we would expect the Shulchan Aruch to mention. For instance, the Shulchan Aruch says that because it's a very important mitzvah, so those people who live in small towns who don't normally hear Kriyat Torah because they don't have a minion in their town, they come for this Shabbat to the bigger, to the bigger city. That, that's the place we could have sent. And women who don't normally come to shul at all would come to shul for this mitzvah. So it, 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 it's not mentioned. I'm saying there's an apparent assumption that perhaps they are not obligated. But the Binyan Sion says that women are obligated, and the logic is really very simple. It's not a mitzvah to say shazman grama. 
It's a mitzvah say. It's a positive commandment, but it has no time. The fact that midu banan you do it in one particular Shabbat, but the mitzvah is to do it once a year. It means you should remember. And that's considered to be mitzvah say. She'ein azman grama. It has no particular time. Uh, so therefore, logically, women should be obligated. The Sefer HaChinuch explicitly says that women are not obligated in Zechivat Amalek. And the reason he says is because women do not conduct war. Ein darkam shonashim b'milchama. What's his assumption? One is he assumes that women are not obligated in mitzvot of war. Now it's true, the Gemara says that in, in a given battle, women don't go to fight. But on the contrary, the Gemara also says that in Mechemet Mitzvah, so women participate, they just don't fight. They, they are in the support troops, they help provide food for the combatants, and that might be a part of the mitzvah. The, the second assumption of the Chinuch is that there's a connection between Zechirat Amalek and Mechiyat Amalek, there are two mitzvot say in the Torah. One is to destroy Amalek, and another mitzvah to remember Amalek. The Chinuch is implicitly combining the two mitzvot. He assumes that women are not obligated in the destruction of Amalek, and therefore they're not obligated in the remembering of Amalek. This might be connected to what one has to remember. Sacholat Asher Asalach Amalek. There's no connection to war there. You should remember the evil that Amalek has done. Or does it also include to remember that there's a mitzvah to destroy them? The continuation of the Pasha is, when God gives you the opportunity, you should destroy them. And today, it's become accepted for women to make a special effort to, in fact, come and hear Malek, and, and if you don't hear the first line, they make a special minion, so that they should hear Kriyat of the Pashat, Pashat Malek. Although, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, this, wasn't, uh, this definitely wasn't the practice and it wasn't well known. But it's been accepted today that since there are some folks who think that women are obligated, women make a special effort to hear Pashat Amalek as well. That's all for today. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom. The Choltov, this has been Ezra Bik, speaking to you from Yeshivat HaRetzion, and you've been listening to KMTT. Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. KMTT is the Torah podcast sponsored by Yeshivat HaRetzion and the Israel Kashitsky Virtual Beit Midrash. Shabbat Shalom. We'll be seeing you next week. Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.